Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter and the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Yeah, leaving this message for Katie Couric. This is for this week's episode of Turnout. I'm leaving my voting story. We're finally on the other side of the 2020 presidential election. And it's been, as promised, unprecedented because of highly engaged voters like you. I live here in rural Tennessee, just outside Nashville. I'm calling you from Connecticut, Virginia, Chicago, Illinois, Cincinnati, Ohio. You turned out in record numbers. Oaksdale, North Carolina. Michigan. Denver, Colorado. Brooklyn. When all is said and done, 2020 is projected to have the highest voter turnout rate in more than a century. I'm a gay male from Kentucky. I have some special health needs. I'm blind. I live in a battleground state. I live in a suburb. I have voted both parties in the past. My husband and I. My family of five. We voted. It was great to hear from so many of you this week who called in to share your voting stories. This really is a moment in history that we'll be talking about and analyzing for years to come. I'm 19 years old, and this is my first time voting in a presidential election. With COVID rates on the rise, I decided to vote by mail. We voted absentee about two weeks ago and dropped it off at our city clerk's box. I have a 20-year-old son who rushed home from college to get his ballot in the box. I voted early this year. Back in September. Three weeks ago. Two weeks ago. So I actually voted in person. In person on my birthday. My mail-in ballot actually got lost in the mail, but after going to my local election office, I was able to do limited voting. And there was no wait. We were in and out within under 10 minutes. Simple, easy, breezy. Uh, 25 minutes, but the line was moving smoothly. I had to wait in line for 45 minutes. About two hours. I was just glad I was able to vote early and get it out of the way. I wore my Ruth Bader Ginsburg t-shirt. It was an excellent experience. Kudos to the arena and the NBA for making it happen. As a member of a marginalized community, it was just good to like have my vote count and my voice heard as cliche as it sounds. There's a lot of places in my life where, you know, um, I don't always feel that way. 
I was able to check online, tracked it electronically, so I know that my local board of elections has already received my ballot. I received a text message from the Register of Voters the very next day confirming that they were in receipt of my ballot, so I'm good to go, and that it will be counted. It felt so, so great to finally be able to vote, and especially in such a critical election. I'm Katie Couric, and this is Turnout. It's Friday, November 6th, and today on the podcast, a conversation I just had over Instagram Live with Brian Goldsmith. Now, Brian, many of you know, is a really good friend of mine. We used to do a podcast together. He worked with me at CBS, later at Yahoo. He helped me enormously prepare for my Sarah Palin interview, my infamous or famous interview, depending on your perspective. And he's my go-to guy whenever I have a question about national politics. In fact, I tease him because he was grounded in high school for sneaking out of his room to watch C-SPAN. Yeah, he's that big of a political nerd. So I thought it would be really instructive and helpful for us to do a post-mortem on what happened this week. And since the news is changing so fast and furiously, we wanted you to know that we recorded this conversation at 6 p.m. Eastern time, again on Friday. So enjoy. Let's talk about the election. Okay, so just give us a quick update. It feels like, like when are they gonna call this thing? Um, Help us. I don't know why they haven't called it. I mean, I think I know why, but it doesn't really make sense. Because if you're Fox or the AP and you've already called Arizona, um, Biden wins the presidency just with Nevada. Nobody who's looked at the numbers thinks that Nevada is going to flip back to Trump. So with Nevada and Arizona, Biden hits 270. You know, that's it. Game over. Fat lady sung, et cetera. Okay, if you're all the other networks, you haven't called Arizona. Um, Take a look at Pennsylvania, where uh, Biden's lead is pretty substantial and is getting bigger, not smaller. Now, is there like an insane scenario with provisional ballots um, contradicting, you know, the historic patterns of previous provisional ballots, contradicting the counties from which they came? Yes. I mean, I also could be struck by lightning right here, right now. That is conceivably possible. But Biden's going to win Pennsylvania. And once you've accepted that, you know, you get over 270, even under the count that ABC, NBC, CBS and CNN are keeping. And 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 by the way, sorry to interrupt, Brian, but Arizona, it seems I haven't really looked at it in the last hour. I went to the grocery store instead. Uh, Arizona, um, it seems like it's tightening up, um, isn't it, a little bit? And I guess maybe in the event that Arizona gets too close to call, um, that's why maybe the networks, as you said, are waiting for Pennsylvania. So, But he doesn't need Arizona. So even if you were to assume... No, I know he doesn't need Arizona, but what I'm saying is maybe they're waiting for Pennsylvania where he has a more sizable lead since they didn't call Arizona and not that Arizona, I don't know, is Arizona a little up for grabs? I don't think so. I mean, everybody serious who's looked at this has said that, you know, Biden's lead may narrow a bit. It's, I mean, it's over one point now. It's 1.3%. Um, and it may shrink a little bit, but I don't think anyone expects Trump to overtake uh, Biden in Arizona. Uh, but okay, so let's, but then you, even if you take 
even if you say Arizona is too uncertain, and that's why NBC, CBS, ABC, CNN have not called Arizona, you don't, you, you know, you go over here to Pennsylvania and Biden's lead is about 14,000 votes and growing. And then, you know, OK, I'm going to dip down into the, you know, where the rest of the votes are. Um, you know, you still have a bunch of Philadelphia votes yet to count. Yes, you have some provisionals, but they are not going to be strongly Republican enough to overcome the 80-20 margin that Biden is getting from a lot of votes out of Pennsylvania. I mean, I think there's actually, you know, most people think that Biden's margin in Pennsylvania is going to be significantly bigger in the end than Trump's margin was in that state four years ago when all the Republicans were proclaiming a landslide, you know. Was this election a huge repudiation of Donald Trump? When you see that the Republicans gained seats in the House, when you see that they, it looks right now with the Georgia runoff expected, two Georgia runoffs expected, uh, that they're holding the Senate majority, but yet the president uh, wasn't able to pull it off. So was this really about Donald Trump and Donald Trump only? Well, it certainly was not a huge repudiation of Republicans. Um, Republicans down ballot, you know, for the most part, seem to outperform the top of the ticket a little bit. Um, often you'll see the opposite. Um, and in terms of the presidential race itself, uh, Trump performed pretty respectably. I mean, he won Ohio. He won Florida. He won Florida pretty comfortably. Um, he won uh, uh, North Carolina. Um, he kept it close in a number of the other key battleground states. Now, in terms of the popular vote, it's not going to be that close. I think Biden's on track to win the popular vote by five or six or even seven million. I think it's going to be a bigger popular vote margin than Obama's over Romney in 12. Um, but the Electoral College, which is where this is really fought and decided, was was a bit closer you know, I think Biden's on track for 306, which is precisely the number, as we've discussed, that um, Trump got four years ago. So I think there's going to be some soul searching, uh, frankly, in both parties about, you know, what they got right and what they got wrong. And it's, it's really a mixed bag for both. You're right. I mean, I think President Trump did much better than a lot of people expected. And I think it just underscored once again how divided this country is that so many people still uh, really felt more comfortable with Donald Trump than Joe Biden for a host of reasons. What primarily do you believe were the reasons, Brian? I think it was primarily ideological. I think there were a number of voters who were uncomfortable with Trump personally and temperamentally. They had doubts about his capacity for the job, but they were convinced um, based on their own predispositions to be kind of center or center right, that the Democrats were a little too extreme, that Biden was a Trojan horse for the radical left. I mean, I worked in Florida this cycle and, you know, we did seven or eight focus groups with Trump 2016 voters who were considering voting for Biden. And that argument resonated with them. They were scared by what they saw, you know, that the media was focusing heavily on Bernie and Warren and AOC, you know, they had, they had gone through this kind of summer of 
of racially charged protest, um, of riots, of, um, you know, defund the police, which is perhaps the worst political slogan in American history, with the possible exception of socialist. Um, and, and they heard both those things, you know, and I thought it was striking. Abigail Spanberger, who's a, a congresswoman from your home state of I Virginia, or home commonwealth, I should call it, right? Yes. Um, she was on this call with uh, other House Democrats kind of hashing over the election return. She barely survived. You know, she's from a tough red to blue district. And she erupted, and she's a pretty mild-mannered, you know, national security professional, moderate Democrat. And, and she just said, you know, unless we excise socialism, defund the police, this kind of hard-left um, uh, stench from our party, um, we're going to get, you know, bleeping uh, walloped or something to that effect uh, in two years. And it is a problem. I worked a congressional race, which is still too close to call, in a Republican district in Northern California. And what did the Republican independent groups choose to focus on in the last two weeks of the campaign? It was defund the police. It was socialism. It was riots. It was anarchy. And I think for a lot of, you know, and rightly or wrongly, for a lot of white swing voters in suburban communities, that whole line of argument was really scary. And I think, and you also saw finally in the exit polling, the voters who decided at the end, just as in 2016, broke for Trump. Now we'll see how the exit poll evolves as it's kind of reweighted and adjusted as we go. But I, I think that's pretty significant too. And I think that's probably a word of warning for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in terms of how they approach governing if in fact, uh, Joe Biden is elected, as it appears he will be, uh, that when it comes to, you know, holding on to progressive principles is one thing, like health care, you know, fixing health care, pre-existing conditions, even universal health care, potentially something like uh, the Green New Deal, as long as it doesn't put a ton of people out of work. I mean, I think all those things are going to have to be seen through a new lens, don't you? Uh, not that they're not important issues to tackle, but it has to be done carefully, right? Yeah, I mean, and Biden was thoughtful during the campaign about distancing himself from some of these ideas. He did not endorse the Green New Deal. He said he had his own plan. He uh, publicly, repeatedly broke from defund the police. Right. He said rioters should be prosecuted. Um, and he needed to do all of those things. Um, the question is, why did he need to do all of those things? Why was that even a conversation that was happening? And it was because some activists who were almost exclusively from deep blue urban areas were, were pushing those issues to the detriment of politicians who had to compete on much less friendly terrain. And in order for the Democrats to govern, uh, to win the Senate, uh, to have a significant majority in the House. They got to win a lot of areas that are center, center right in this country. Yeah. And, and this stuff is challenging. I think that Claire McCaskill talked about that this morning. I saw her saying that the progressive wing of the party has to appreciate people who are running in much more conservative areas. I thought about my sister who was running for lieutenant governor with Mark Warner before she was diagnosed with cancer and had to drop out of the race. But 
she was really good at kind of, I mean, she was quite a moderate Democrat of, of working with people in Charlottesville, but also in larger Albemarle County, which was quite, you know, had a lot of conservative voters uh, there as well. And, you know, I think sort of, we talked about it last night, Brian, sort of cancel culture and this self-righteous smugness that you're an idiot if you don't see things my way, um, which I think can can feel like it's coming from uber uber progressives can be very off-putting to more moderate voters. I mean, you can believe two things at the same time. You can believe there is a history of systemic racism in this country, that systemic racism is a problem here now today that has to be addressed, that there needs to be more economic opportunity. Those are majority positions. Black Lives Matter has a majority favorability rating in the country. So you don't want to overlearn the lesson, you know, Uh, voters of color are the core of the Democratic Party. You don't want to push them away. But you also don't want to push away uh, the 70 percent of the electorate that is white um, and that feels like um, they're being blamed. Um, They're being excluded. They're being chastised. Or schooled. You know, I I don't know whether I told you this, Brian, but I saw uh, I feel the same way that it is possible. Everything has become so black, white, left, right, that you can you can want to reform the police department and feel that that it's patently unfair that black men are uh, subjected to profiling and, and police brutality much more often than white people. You can also respect and appreciate what the police do and support Black Lives Matter. And there was a Venn diagram that Billie Jean King put on her Instagram. I don't know if I told you this. It might have been David Brooks I was talking to. I get all you guys mixed up. All we're you we're confused for each other all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So anti-Semitic of you, Katie. In the, middle, in the middle, it said me. And it was Billie Jean, you know, and I thought, yeah, why, why do we have to necessarily pick sides and say you're either pro-police or pro-Black Lives Matter? And I guess a lot of, um, you know, activists will say, well, you can't be both. But I think that's honestly where a lot of people are. You know, they want to respect and appreciate good policing and good officers and also help them be better officers and weed out bad officers. And, uh, you know, but as somebody who is not a a black person, you know, I have a, a different outlook and a different life experience. So I cannot necessarily... Uh, you know, appreciate what it's like to be a black man in America. And so I understand the the anger that has been built up over years and years and years of racial profiling and just blatant, you know, out and out racism. Anyway, I completely agree with that. But let me just say, if you listen to the voices of black people uh, and uh, Latinos, support for defund the police was actually significantly less among those groups than among the white left. This is uh, more of a kind of white elite left issue than it is uh, among actual black and brown voters. Um, You know, my favorite example of this is the term Latinx, um, which is, you know, the very kind of hip woke term for Latinos and Latinas in this country. Only problem with it is if you actually listen to Latinos and Latinas, Hispanics, they identify those terms with those terms. They understand those terms. They don't know what Latinx is. And Ruben Gallego, 
who's a, uh, a Hispanic member of Congress from working class Latino uh, district in Arizona, the day after the election tweeted, you know, one thing we got to start doing uh, <laughs> if we want to win over more uh, Hispanic voters or Latino voters is stop using the term Latinx because they don't understand it. Pew did a poll that showed that only 3% of Americans, uh, actually, I think it was 3% of Latinos, had ever heard the term or used the term Latinx. So to me, that's like exhibit A of the disconnect sometimes between you know what are known as like extremely online people who are primarily upscale and white and urban and the voters the Democrats need to win. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular's single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. So... Let's talk about some other uh, lessons that we've learned here. So we've realized that that the socialism message, the anti-socialism message really resonated with a lot of voters. What about the economy? Do you think that the Biden campaign made a strong enough connection between getting COVID-19, getting the pandemic under control and jumpstarting the economy? I think they tried. Uh, Biden gave a number of speeches and interviews on this topic. Um, I think they were aware of the challenge. So I'm not going to fault what they did or didn't do, but the net result was insufficient. Um, you know, even uh, coming off the worst economic collapse in history, even with the worst jobs record of any president since Hoover, you know, Trump went into Election Day with a consistent advantage on who do you trust to handle the economy? 
Um, and that that was a problem. You know, the economy is usually one of the biggest issues, if not the biggest issue. I believe that once all the exit poll data is is kind of weighted and compiled, we will see that it's the biggest issue again uh, in 2020. And and Democrats cannot lose on the economy. That's kind of the core of 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 who we are. We're fighting for more economic opportunity. And I I, I sometimes worry. Um, or at least I worried over the course of the Trump presidency that a number of Democrats were so distracted by the the horror show of of Trump um, that the message kind of boiled down to this is not who we are. America is better than this. Trump's behavior is abominable. And a lot of people would agree with that. And then they would still support Trump because they thought that Trump was more able to deliver economic improvements for them um, in their lives. And, and so, you know, a huge focus for Joe Biden from day one has got to be um, helping people rebuild economically, helping the country rebuild economically. And, and this leads, unfortunately, to the discussion about, you know, in all likelihood, Democrats are not going to have the Senate. And it's going to be very, very difficult for Democrats to get things done uh, legislatively. Having said that, as I said last night, is there a chance because of Biden's personal relationships with some of these folks that it will just be less rancorous and it will, um, or do you think they're going to be complete obstructionists? You and I, of course, I interviewed Mitch McConnell at Yahoo and asked him about saying as soon as Barack Obama was elected, we're going to spend you know, our our number one job for the Republican Party is to make sure he isn't reelected, uh, which, it, you know, not even a, a honeymoon period of saying, what can we do together? And of course, health care passed with not one Republican vote. And so, um, you know, are you do you have any optimism that after an exhausting four years that the parties possibly could work together? I think it is possible on a few issues that a few Republicans, you know, Susan Collins or Mitt Romney or, you know, Republicans without any kind of national political ambitions, Republicans who are not afraid of their base, Republicans who do, you know, uh, feel a sense of responsibility to the country, um, you know, may work with him on those things. But uh, I, I hope I'm wrong. I think by and large what the Obama presidency taught us is that the Republicans, for the most part, have decided that the best political strategy is to oppose the Democratic president at every turn. And therefore, when the Democratic president can't get certain things done um, and gets no bipartisan support, the Republicans are able to blame him for those things and voters blame the president for those things. So, you know, Obama, I think over and over again, was willing to to meet the Republicans halfway, sometimes even more than that, they weren't willing in many cases to move an inch. And yet in 2010 and 2014, the voters blamed Obama for being unable to produce, you know, bipartisan legislative successes. So it's a kind of a cynical strategy, of course, but it's an effective one. And I think, you know, McConnell and most of the Senate Republicans are going to look very quickly to 2022 when they have the opportunity to expand their majority potentially in the Senate to win back the House, which is far more possible today than it looked, you know, before this election. And I think the obstruction strategy 
is going to feel like the right strategy to them. And also with the runoffs, if the two Democrats win in Georgia, and you were saying before in another conversation we had that turnout is very difficult uh, when you don't have a presidential election. So it might be more difficult, although Stacey Abrams has built quite uh, an organization in Georgia, and I'm sure we'll be working very hard for these for these Senate races. It's not impossible. I think there's a chance. I, I, I do think there's a chance. I think, you know, Biden's going to win Georgia. So the votes are there. Um, but, you know, do all of those votes from a from a presidential election uh, turn out in January for a Senate runoff? Maybe it's possible. Um, if I had to bet money, I would bet that the, you know, the Republicans tend to turn out more. Um, Republicans historically do better in these off-year elections because they show up. Um, over and over and over again, and Democrats tend to be uh, tend to vote more intermittently um, and and mostly in presidential years. Um, and so, you know, uh, Biden certainly knows the stakes. Um, I, I don't think they're going to want for money. I think Act Blue will funnel you know millions and millions of dollars to these two you know very impressive, attractive Democratic candidates. Uh, but I just I think it's it's a heavy lift. Uh, but but you know. We should try. We should certainly try. But I'm trying to give you honest analysis about what I think the likelihood is. By the way, a lot of people are asking about Kamala Harris's Senate seat, Brian. Yeah, it's funny. I was just talking about this, uh, actually, um, uh, on a a different uh, interview. And I think um, I think there are two front runners. Um, Newsom, the governor of California, gets to pick uh, uh, Kamala's successor, uh, Vice President-elect Harris, in my view. Um, and uh, I, I think those are uh, Karen Bass, who was a runner-up uh, for the uh, VP slot, who is a, an enormously impressive person, a, a master legislator, um, the first black woman speaker of the California Assembly. Um, you know, I, I know her. I like her. She'd be a terrific choice. Um, and the and and by the way, you then get uh, another black woman in the Senate. Um, to replace the only black woman in the Senate uh, now. Um, the second choice, um, who I think is probably more likely to get picked, is um, Alex Padilla, who is California's Secretary of State, who would be the first Latino senator ever from California. Um, that is, you know... Uh, That's sort of hard ma- to believe, isn't it? It is hard to believe, and we're a majority-minority state. Uh, Latinos are actually, by proportion of population the biggest group in California, slightly edging out whites, um, but in terms of voters, have been quite underrepresented over the years. And I think um, the governor feels a deep sense of history. He also goes back a long way with Padilla, who actually, and, and the six junkies watching this will appreciate it, when Newsom ran for governor in the primaries against Jerry Brown 10 years ago, Alex Padilla was actually the chairman of Newsom's campaign. So they go back a long way. And I think, you know, and he's very impressive. And I I think, you know, if I had to bet, he would probably get picked. Let's talk about turnout. Uh, I understand this is going to be the largest turnout in something like 100 years. Uh, And um, I think people were more perhaps more engaged in in this election than they have in any election of of my lifetime, certainly. Uh, do, Do you have any idea about the turnout numbers? Did a lot of young people come out and vote? Did a lot of seniors? 
or is it hard to tell until all the mail-in ballots are, are, are counted and we can really analyze the people who voted? It's hard to tell accurately demographic by demographic, but I can say overall turnout is way up. We know that. I mean, uh, and on both sides, which is, I think, a surprise to a lot of people. People were expecting a blue surge. They weren't expecting a red surge. And we got both. So, you know, Trump is now just under 70 million votes. I think he got 63 or 64 million last time. Um, Hillary got, I think, 66 million last time. Uh, Biden is now at 74 million. I mean, I think he's going to get to 75 million once California is fully counted. Um, so huge increase in turnout um, on both sides. And I would be shocked if it weren't, you know, driven by uh, young people as well as older people. But, um, you know, I, the thing that the Trump people got mocked for um, for years, saying that they were going to bring out a lot more white non-college voters um, turns out they probably did. I think the blue surge was was clearly bigger and 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 overtook them. Uh, but you know the Republicans turned out and 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 Trump's supporters turned out and 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 they are going to be a force in our politics, a huge force for years to come. And I would not bet against anyone whose last name is Trump in the 2024 Republican primaries. In fact, I saw last night there was an article that said. He had already been discussing, by the way, I can't vouch for this, but it was, I think, Mediaite saying that he had already been floating the idea of if he lost about running in 2024. I was going to tweet it and say, too soon. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's very possible. I think it's very, very possible. And, and a lot of people are talking about that. Um, he, uh, he would be 78, uh, which is about Joe Biden's age. Um, he would want to, of course, avenge um, his loss. Um, I think if the Democratic nominee is Vice President Kamala Harris, he would relish the opportunity to have a full-on race and gender war against somebody who symbolizes the America that he is fighting against tooth and nail. Um, you know, David Axelrod had this great line that, you know, uh, Joe Biden was very culturally inconvenient for Donald Trump. And it's true, you know, working class kid from Scranton, PA, not part of the 60s protest movement, not part of the 2020 woke squad. You know, it was very hard to demonize uh, Joe Biden or to make him a scary figure. I mean, in fact, you know, Donald Trump bought himself an impeachment trying to disqualify Joe Biden because he knew, I mean, give him credit, he knew very early on that Biden was going to be a deeply problematic opponent. Uh, for him. Well, uh, I don't think he views uh, Kamala Harris the same way. Now, he may be really underestimating her, and she may build an equally, if not more powerful coalition driven by, you know, different demographics. But I just think from the, you know, from inside, you know, Trump's kind of prejudiced, addled, uh, heat-seeking brain, um, you know, I think the possibility of running against a woman and a black woman um, I think is probably, in a sick way, very appealing to him. Let's talk about criminal charges that any of the Trump family may face. Is that a possibility at all, given all the investigations that are going on in the Southern District of New York about, you know, improprieties with his charities, uh, certain things that have been done tax-wise, um, 
Do you think that those will go anywhere? Yeah, I think they might. Um, I think you have the New York State Attorney General looking into Trump's business and his charity, his fraudulent charity. I think you have the Southern District of New York looking into this stuff. And I think the great unanswered question is, um, does Trump try to pardon himself? I actually have very little doubt that he's going to try to pardon everyone around him. I think that's how he's going to try to buy the loyalty of all of these people who haven't kind of, you know, flipped to use the, the mafia parlance. Um, but I think it is, it is a kind of uncertain legal ground for a president to try to pardon himself. You know, that could go to the Supreme Court. Is, is Amy Coney Barrett the deciding vote on that? I don't know. Can, can a president, a president can in fact pardon himself or one day herself? Well, no, no one has tried before. Nixon, you know, had enough propriety that he wouldn't even dream of trying. Um, but I, I don't think Trump respects these, you know, these norms and traditions at all. Um, and so if it's a possible, I mean, I, I certainly don't think Bill Barr is going to stand in his way. I think he's going to get a favorable opinion from Barr's Justice Department. Um, and then it'll probably be, you know, fought out in the courts. And, and you know, if, if there's anything we know about Trump, that, you know, he pushes the limits and most of the time he gets away with it. Um, you know, <laughs> you just can't even remember it, like washes over us all of the stuff that he's done, any one of which would have been like a presidency ending scandal for previous presidents. And yet he just, you know, like old man river, he just keeps rolling along. And, you know, I think, uh, I think he may try. sleep should come naturally and with the new natural hybrid mattress it can a collaboration between award-winning mattress brand lisa and home design favorite west elm the natural hybrid is the culmination of these two companies shared values premium materials meticulous craftsmanship and sustainable practices made with natural latex responsibly sourced natural wool and environmentally safe foams the natural hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary indulges your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. 
Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. What about these claims of voter fraud that seem to have absolutely no merit? It saddens me to see people on this live interview still claiming fraud. We've heard that there have been no incidents or very few incidents or I guess zero incidents. I'm sure there have been some cases of sketchy things going on. I mean, can you really have an election with 0.0 cases of of kind of questionable voting behavior? Yeah, there've got to be a few there've got to be a few, but you know, <laughs> no one has presented any evidence of anything significant. I mean, I don't think anyone's presented any evidence of a single ballot in this cycle being, you know, uh, fraudulent in the sense that somebody tried to like double vote or cancel out somebody else's vote or, or something like that. I mean, people make plenty of mistakes, of course. And we're seeing that all over Pennsylvania in a way that, by the way, advantaged Donald Trump, not Joe Biden, because, you know, people had to kind of go through this complicated new procedure with an inner envelope and an outer envelope and signatures. And I mean, it was a whole it was a whole thing. Um, But, you know, I, I give great credit to Pat Toomey, the conservative Republican senator from Pennsylvania, who went on the Today Show this morning and said, you know, there's just no evidence for what the president's saying, and he ought to quit saying he ought to quit saying it. Um, but you know, there is a divide in the Republican Party between you know the retiring Republicans, Toomey's not running again in 2022, who are being honest about this stuff. Um, you know, or the or the retired Republicans who you know many of whom supported Biden, and the Republicans with ambition. Um, who are, you know, in some cases fanning the flames. Now, I will say Kevin McCarthy, the House Republican leader, went on Fox last night, said that Trump won the election, you know, definitively said that Trump won to the big Fox primetime audience. I think he was on the Laura Ingram show. He then posted that on social media, knowing exactly what he said, spread it around, and then today walked it back. Today, he said he was misunderstood. And what he meant was that Trump had won by helping down-ballot House and Senate Republicans, which, of course, was not what he meant. Uh, But I do think it's noteworthy that he felt the need to walk it back, that, you know, you you have the news uh, uh, voices on Fox who are mostly being pretty responsible here. I mean, apparently Trump is calling Rupert Murdoch and others and, and yelling about the Fox coverage, that they're not parroting his line that the whole thing was stolen. I think Fox, you know, on some level is already looking a little bit past Trump 
And, and they may actually have a, you know, set aside whatever their moral views are. They have a business interest in, in potentially being kind of the, the uh, opposition party because historically their ratings have gone up, not down, when a Democrat's in, in the White House. So let's talk about the concession speech. Will it? <laughs> you think there will be one? I, I don't think there's ever going to be one. That's my question. At some point, yeah. do you think if Donald Trump has lost, that he really wants to go down in history as the uh, most churlish, most bitter, uh, defeated president of all time. Um, it's, it's such, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Better than being a loser. You know, I think for Donald Trump, there were always only two outcomes to this election. Either he won or it was stolen. That was the only two and possible he was setting outcomes. The, he was setting the foundation for that for months and months and months, despite the fact that mail-in voting was always going to have to be a necessary thing, especially in the midst of a pandemic. I was watching John McCain's concession speech in 2008. I saw you posted that. Hillary yeah. Clinton's in 2016, which someone said was not gracious, and that could not be further from the truth. It was uh, moving, but she was, you know, very magnanimous towards Donald Trump. So you think what what is going to happen in the next two months before the inauguration? Uh, I think he is going to be churlish and uncooperative. I think he's not going to, like, be physically dragged out of the White House. I think he's going to leave. But I think that is the most he will do. I think and again, I, I hope to death that I am wrong. I don't think he's gonna uh, send the message to you know the the dregs and crooks who populate his administration to cooperate in any sense with the the incoming administration. I think Biden, based on the combination of COVID and the economy and Donald Trump, is going to have by far the worst and most difficult transition of any incoming president ever. I think Trump is going to say that, you know, the deep state plotted against him, the fraudulent votes and, and big media and big tech and all this stuff that he's using is what pushed him out of the White House. But he knows he won and you know he won. And this is all a fraud and Biden's illegitimate. Um, I don't think he's going to invite the Bidens in for the traditional coffee before the inauguration. I don't think he's going to attend Biden's inauguration. Um, I'd be surprised if he did that. Uh, you know, traditionally, of course, um, the outgoing president invites the president-elect shortly after the elect, couple days after the election to the White House for a very civil and cordial meeting. You know, the last uh, election like this was um, uh, when Obama defeated Romney. And I think a couple of weeks after the election, uh, Obama invited R Romney in for lunch. And they had a very, you know, by all accounts, a very friendly, cordial conversation for about an hour. Uh, President Obama invited President-elect Trump uh, to the White House, I think, two days after the 2016 election and, and had him to lunch. And, and I just think he's going to, you know, he, he's just blowing up all the norms. And, and the, the real loser is our, is our institutions and our democracy and public trust. And this is really dangerous stuff. Well, Brian, it's been so fun uh, talking to you about all this stuff. You guys can see why I always call Brian when I have qu political oh, questions. Oh, thank you, Katie. 
All right, I'll talk to you soon. Bye, Brian. Turnout is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are Katie Couric and Courtney Litz. Supervising producers, Lauren Hansen. Associate producers, Derek Clements, Eliza Costas, and Emily Pinto. Editing by Derek Clements and Lauren Hansen. Mixing by Derek Clements. Our researcher is Gabriel Loser. And special thanks to my right-hand woman, Adriana Fazio. You can follow me at all my election coverage at Katie Couric. Meanwhile, yes, I'm Katie Couric. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash From original art and diplomas to ticket stubs and the keys to your first home, we all have mementos we'd love to put on display. FrameBridge is the easy and affordable way to custom frame just about anything, with fair upfront pricing based on the size of your item and fast, free shipping. Plus, your happiness is guaranteed. See why FrameBridge has been trusted to frame over 2 million pieces. Visit FrameBridge.com or a local FrameBridge store to get started. That's FrameBridge.com.